Good evening and welcome to the third show of the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and joining me tonight is uh, Joe, back after a week off. Um, Jason won't be with us tonight. He wasn't feeling so hot. So, uh, Jason, we hope you feel better, bud, and we'll see you next week. How you doing, Joe? Doing great, Andrew. It's good to be back. And, uh, and uh, Jason's feeling about as good as the Phillies played last week. So, <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth. So... Atlanta had a heck of a week last week. They opened up sweeping Washington. Um, Waskar Yanoa continued his impressive 2021 season. He went seven strong innings, gave up four hits, two walks, four strikeouts, and he hit a grand slam. And it wasn't just, a, hey, this might scrape the top of the fence. This was a no-doubter out towards left center field, and it almost hit the wall beyond the uh, outfield wall in the air. I mean, he just crushed that one. Um, and that was actually his second home run in two straight games, because if you remember the week before, he homered against the Cubbies as well. Um, in game two of the series, Max Freed made a strong return off the IL. He went five innings, four hits, one run, uh, walked one, but he struck out six. Uh, Marcelo Zuna hit a grand slam. Contreras hit his first MLB home run. Um, he's looked really good since he's taken over for catching after uh, Travis Darno and Alex Jackson got hurt. Um, game three, Drew Smiley finally won a freaking game. He didn't look terrible. He went six innings, four hits. He did allow four walks, um, but he struck out four. So strikeouts are still down. Walks are still up. I'm not quite sold that he's turned the corner and gotten better yet. But, you know, considering what we had looked at last week and uh, his stats up through the season up till that point, I'll take that. Um, and then, you know, the bullpen looked good in Washington for the most part. Tomlin was a little shaky in game two, but they were otherwise pretty solid. Uh, what did you think of Atlanta versus Washington, Joe? Yeah, I, I think that um, Contreras has taken off after his uh, brother Wilson Contreras for the Cubbies. And he, Absolutely. And, uh, they did a lot of work together last year, I saw, and, and it's, it certainly seems to be paying off. Um, looks like, you know, the Braves played the Cubs and they found their bats. Um, and... Had a bit of a blip last weekend, but before uh, before Washington, but they seem to have kind of found their groove again. Um, so play the Cubs and get your offense back. <laughs> Maybe that's Philly's answer. Yeah, we'll have to see. The uh, Phillies are definitely looking for some answers right now. Um, and then, uh, so Atlanta did not look good in game one against the Phillies. They got shelled, but then they came back and won the next two games. Um, Charlie Morton was terrible in game one. He only went two-thirds of an inning. Um, but uh, Tom won pitch a solid four and a third in relief, and I'm happy to see that after he got knocked around a little bit against Washington. Um, and then in game two, Ian Anderson looked great. He had a really solid start. Uh, it got wasted because the offense didn't do anything um, against Vince Velasquez, which I found pretty curious because Vince Velasquez is normally pretty hittable, but uh, he's really come on pretty well for Philly lately, so... You know, maybe he's going to turn a corner and be a potential fantasy stud like he was when he came up a few years ago. Now, in that game, uh, the Braves made multiple comebacks. They made a comeback from 3-1 in the 9th, 4-3 in the 11th, and 7-4 in the 12th to win the game 8-7. I mean, that game, I my heart was pounding that whole game. You know, after the first comeback, you're like, all right, great. And then, you know, you fall down in the 11th, and it's like, oh, do we have another one? But then the 12th, you just knew that even though it was a bigger deficit, you just knew they were going to fight their way back. I mean, uh, I, I forget who they interviewed after the game, but, that you know, everybody they talked to was like, you know, this is Atlanta hitting. We've been doing this for a couple years now. 
we don't give up until the 27th out or, you know, if we're an extras, you know, until that last out's recording, they are going to keep fighting. And, you know, I'm very happy to see the uh, offense is making that huge, huge return. I'm, you know, that, that second game, I'm sure Jason was probably going nuts too, although for the exact opposite reasons, because, you know, the thing I was worried about for the Phillies coming into the series was how was their bullpen going to hold up? And uh, they did not do that. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, I only saw the ninth inning come back. I don't make it much later than that anymore these days. But um, I thought for sure the way Pablo was swinging the bat, I thought he was going to strike out because he went after that first one that was, you know, Vlad Guerrero-esque. Yeah, that, and, for, yeah uh, that first pitch was not good. <laughs> yeah, I did not think he was going to pull that out, and he hit that long home run, and I'm like, oh, okay, let's let's see where this goes. But. So Pablo, so Pablo Sandoval has two pinch hit home runs against Philly this year. He did one in the opening series, and then he had the one in the second game in this series. Why does Philly pitch to him in the ninth inning? I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of similar to our, you know, will the will the Mets ever give Degrom run support? Well, <laughs> we just don't know why. But um, I, you know, some of that is is just you think you can beat him, and I think. This is kind of a pitcher's year we're kind of seeing early on here, so they think you know maybe we have enough on the on the report to get by him, and they've struck out twice. Yeah, and you know, I, I I'm just with the Phillies and still running Hector Neris out there. I know Joe Girardi said after the game, um, you know, he still has confidence in his closer, and I, you know, I think this early in the season, I don't know that you can say. My closer sucks. Get him out of here. I need somebody else. You know, hey, Chicago, is Craig Kimbrell available? You know, we'll trade you a couple packs of peanuts. You know, it's too early in the year to do that. But here's the thing. Every time Naris comes on, and Jason mentioned this last week, every time he comes on, it seems like there's always going to be at least one base runner. It seems like he gives up a run a pretty decent amount of the time. Um, how much longer do you think Philly's going to run Hector Naris out as their closer? I don't know how much longer they can do it. I, I get Girardi kind of, you know, going to bat for his guy, but at some point you have to be a realist and go, this is not working. Um, you know, I, I can remember back to the days when, like when Pedro Strope was kind of your, you know, ninth inning guy or eighth inning guy, and similar thing to Naris, it's like this guy's coming in, the Cubs are going to give up a lead. That's just how it works. And I think at some point you just have to say, you know what? You know, maybe maybe we send you down. Maybe we get you the all around site, get you some extra some work to kind of figure it out. Um, you know, maybe you, you keep him in the bullpen a couple extra days to kind of figure some things out. But I think at some point you just have to admit, okay, this isn't working right now, and let's go from there. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. I'll admit I don't know Philly's bullpen well enough to know if they have somebody else who's ready to step up and be closer. If there's somebody else they can try to close games for a while, but even maybe dropping Naris down to like the eighth inning setup man or the seventh inning setup man, you know, that way he's not pitching in the high octane situations. It gives him a chance to maybe rebuild some of that confidence. You know, I just wonder if it would help. Yeah, I think it can't hurt. I think at some point you just have to go, okay, ninth inning's not working. You know, maybe it's, you know, pitching the sixth inning or the seventh inning and just saying, you know what, just just, just pitch. Don't worry about, you know, whether you give up a run or not. Don't worry about 
the stress, like you said, those high octane ninth innings. It's get them get them some confidence and get them some work that will be productive. So I just pulled up uh, Naris' stat line for the year. He has a one and three record, which of course you, typically your closers will have a losing record you know, just by the nature of their job. He has a two ninety three ERA. Um, he's been in sixteen games so far. He does have six saves. Um, he's pitched 15 in the third innings. He's struck out 19. He has a whip of 1.17. Um, and he has also walked six batters as well. I mean, they're not terrible numbers. But for a closer, I want to see that ERA lower. I want to see it, you know, I want to see a high ones, mid ones ERA if I can. But I, a 1.17 whip isn't going to do it as a closer. You know, you need to get those three outs quickly and efficiently. If you're the kind of guy that's going to be, get you know, get the ball into play, let your defense take care of it, or if you're going to be the kind of guy who's going to strike out everybody you see, you know, you need a guy like that to close down the ninth inning. I, you know, I, th- I think Girardi's right. I don't know that you necessarily pull him yet, but, you know, I have to wonder how short is that leash getting. Yeah, I mean, those numbers, like you said, they're not that bad, and, and maybe you... You know, this early on in the season, maybe you try to see if he can, you know, again, maybe an extra bullpen session, or maybe it's just, you know, keep throwing him out there and hope he figures it out. Yeah. And then in the uh, last game of the series, uh, Wasker, you know, had continued that hot streak. He uh, went six strong innings, four hits, one earned run, which was the leadoff home run to McCutcheon, um, one walk and six strikeouts. The offense jumped on Aaron Nola. We knocked him out after four innings and five earned runs. So, you know, the questions Jason and I looked at last week, can the Braves limit the Phillies' offense? Other than game one, absolutely. They shut the Phillies down. And the other question was, will Baum actually touch home plate this time? Yes, he did in the first inning in game one, but it was not on a home run as Jason initially predicted. So he didn't get to do the emphatic stomp. All right, so um, looking at the rest of the week for the Phillies, um, they had a four-game sweep of the Brewers. Um, they picked up wins from Vince Velasquez, Aaron Nola, Ian Kinsler, and uh, Wheeler. Wheeler threw a three-hit shutout. He didn't give the bullpen a chance to blow it like he, you know, like what happened the prior week. Um, they didn't have a huge run output throughout the whole series, but the bullpen held down in the series against the Brewers. You know, the idea of bend but don't break. Um, you know. They look good against the Brewers. You know, top team in the Central at the time. They're not now, but uh, that was at least a good start to the week, even if it didn't end so well for the Phillies. What do you think, Joe? Well, it certainly helped me out as a Cub fan. <laughs> um, if you had told me last week that I would be entering this week, at entering tonight's game at 500 and in third place and three and a half back of St. Louis, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, so benefited me. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we talked a lot about these Rivalries in her division, and, and this Braves Phillies thing is just going to be back and forth all year. Um, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be kind of that other um, rivalry that we're, we're going to enjoy watching this year. I mean, Dodgers have kind of fallen off a little bit, and um, maybe that rivalry isn't going to be as much fun as we had, we had hoped. So, yeah, the Dodgers have not been good lately. Um... The Dodgers are two and eight in their last ten games. They've dropped down to eighteen and seventeen. Um, now they're still holding a very strong run differential at plus thirty-two, but they're just not getting it done. And you know, 
A lot of that is uh, the hot cubbies. They came in, they swept the Dodgers right back out of Wrigley. I mean, I'll be honest, on the show last week, I was thinking the Cubbies were the ones that were going to be swept or they were going to be lucky to take one game and then they turn around and take the whole damn thing. Yeah, I'm a... I thought playing at Wrigley, they'd have a shot, and I thought, okay, let's let's give them two. They had Al Alzali pitching. They had um, Davies pitched real well last week. I don't know if it was in that game, but that series, but um, just seemed like they might get a shot. Hendricks, I thought, might figure it out. Uh, turns out he did. I mean, seven innings and and finishing that game. I know it was a doubleheader, but still, for him finishing a complete game, he's leading the team in innings he's leading the team in strikeouts it, it's kind of he's he finally found his groove his location was fantastic um kershaw i mean the, the the cubs were able to chase kershaw after one inning it's the shortest outing that kershaw's ever had mm -hmm. and kershaw is at that point where he's kind of starting to similar to what we talked about with scherzer before he's getting to that point where he's got to be more of a finesse kind of pitcher now he can't just throw 99 the entire game or 98 or whatever he throws. You know, he's got to be more of a finesse and slow down and aim a little bit more, and I think that's going to be an adjustment for him. So I think, um, you know, the Cubs playing at Wrigley is always, you know, there's always a chance, especially if the wind's blowing out, um, to have a, a nice night, and they had they swept the doubleheader, and I said, well, okay, they got the two, and then uh, Wednesday night to, to, to complete the sweep, that was certainly unexpected, but a, a happy unexpected. Um, you look at, I think, um, they had Bauer. I think that was in game two. Yes, Bauer was game two. And and Bauer pitched great, but the control was bad. And that's been the issue with Hendricks early on in the year. That's been the issue with, with Davies for the Cubs this year, too, where he's had control issues, and he started to kind of lock things down this last week, too, as well. Um, and, and finally... The Cubs were able to capitalize on walks, and something they really haven't been able to do, um, you know. And the bullpen is probably one of the better components of the Cubs right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, getting to the bullpen, you know, later having having a complete game by Hendricks in Game One, you know, saves saves the bullpen for the rest of that series, and I think that made a huge difference for them. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Bauer did issue four walks in that game, um, and I, I don't know Bauer's whole career very well. I, you know, I don't follow the um, NL Central a ton, but if I recall right, um, there were times in Cincinnati where he would get pretty streaky and have games where he just could not locate the plate. Mm -hmm. So you know, this isn't necessarily out of the norm for Bauer. Um, you know, Kimbrell did or did get his first blown save of the year, um, but that was also when Ross brought him in in the seventh inning. You know, I I understand bringing your closer in in the eighth inning if it's like one through three, two through four. You know, if you're facing the heart of the order and if you can get through that, you know the next inning is going to be a breeze. You know, I'm 100% on board. Throw your closer out there. Let him take down the big guns. And then either let him do a two-inning save or bring somebody, you know, bring the setup man and let him get a save that night instead. You know, but seventh inning, I, I just yeah. don't understand that. I, I'm sure Ross saw something in the metrics that he thought he liked. But, uh, you know, for a closer to come in the seventh inning, I mean, the adrenaline rush isn't there like it is in the ninth. I didn't understand that move. Yeah, I mean... 
Ross has seemed to have kind of adopted a lot of unconventional things that Madden did that used to drive me nuts. <laughs> um, you know, I think Al- Alzelay's like first start of the year, he pulled him like super early when he was on a roll and only gave up a couple of hits, and it was like just just let him let him throw a little bit. He's got to grow a little bit, um, and and he didn't do that. And then the next start, he let him in, and he pitched fine. So I think I think he's being a little bit too, and maybe I don't know if this is across the league necessarily, but I know Ross is this way where he's kind of a little quick to pull the trigger, and I don't know if that's just the former catcher in him. He can just see it differently. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I just think that he's a little bit too trigger happy to pull and gets a little bit nervous a little too fast for me. You know, I wonder if Jason would say Joe Girardi's like that now that he's had a chance to watch him for a couple weeks because Girardi's another former catcher. And, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, during his time in New York, he always usually had a pretty good grasp of, of his bullpen and his pitchers. He didn't usually make too many oddball calls where you're going, why did he pull that guy so early? So, you know, there's something to be said for hiring a former catcher to be your manager. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, Brian has really just kept the bats going, too. I mean, he's leading leading the league with, you know, I think it's he has nine home runs. He's got 14 doubles this year. He leads the league in, in extra or extra base hits. You know, he, he's a little bit different this week, but he's still on a roll. He's still got a, you know, a BPS about, about, you know, over a thousand. So he's really on a roll and he's really hitting well. Baez is again one of those guys. I know he hit a huge two run bomb last week, but he's just one of those guys who's he either hits it or he doesn't. It either is productive or it's not. And now, uh, he, I mean, he was battling a back issue over the weekend and it kind of showed up. And so that's why he's out right now. And it's just kind of like, you know, maybe if you didn't swing so stinking hard at pitches that were three feet off the plate, you might be okay. But he's just I, I, hes just not one of those hitters that I enjoy watching because I know he's going to get caught on something. Yeah, and he's got a wild swing. I mean, sometimes he makes contact at a pitch. I'm thinking I would have needed a tennis racket or a seven iron to hit that. But he somehow is able to smoke it into the outfield. But, yeah, it, it does tend to catch up on you at times. So I pulled up a Chris Bryant stat line over the last uh, two weeks. Uh, listen, you'll like this. 11 runs scored. He's had 17 hits, 4 home runs, 10 RBIs. He's walked 8. He has struck out 18 times, but he's being aggressive to try and get the Cubs offense moving. Uh, 304 average, 391 OBP, and a 661 slugging. Yeah, it's pretty doggone good if you ask me. Yeah, 36 hits. He's leading the team in that category. I think it's 14 doubles now. It might still be 13. Um Rizzo's leading the team in walks. He's got 19 walks. So Rizzo, I hope, will kind of figure it out, similar to what Kyle did. I mean, they went home, and, and Kyle kind of figured it out. I mean, the other thing that the, the Cubs lucked into is the Dodgers' bullpen is just atrocious. So, I mean, chasing Kershaw out in the first inning, that helps you when – I mean, you look at last year. I mean, the Dodger bullpen last year was second in the league. In ERA and they their ERA last year was two point seven four. Right now it's four point eleven. Um, their walk strike to walkout ratio is they're twenty eighth now. They were second last year uh, with three point four four. This year it's one point seven seven. Ooh, that's a huge drop. 
Yeah, I mean the Dodgers themselves are five and fifteen in their last twenty games, and the bullpen is a big part of that. They're four and ten in one run games. The bullpen had eleven losses all year last year. They already have seven going into this week. So I mean, clearly something's not working for them, and I, I'm the lucky benefit of that. But I mean, clearly the bullpen is is not what it used to be, and it actually needs to be good now because. You know, you've got your Kershaw who's getting a little older. Some of these other guys have to be a little bit more different pitching, and I think that's that's certainly at least helping or hurting them and helping me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm wondering how long the Dodgers are going to go before they pull a before they pull the trigger and grab a reliever in a trade. I've been kind of wondering that for a while, and I you know I feel like it's gonna they're going to make a move before the deadline at least. They're going to have to. That's uh, that's such a huge turnaround and. You know, I'm seeing some of that in Atlanta as well. I mean, they had a stellar bullpen last year as well, and this year it's been uh, kind of atrocious. They've made some uh, made some moves recently. Uh, they just re-signed Shane Green to a one-year deal. Um, I'm actually surprised he was still available. I thought more teams would be snapping at him, but from what I was reading, uh, he wanted a multi-year deal. Nobody wanted to give it to him because of his age, so he took what was available. Um, you know, the Atlanta's stockpiling arms too. I mean, they, um, you know, they grabbed a couple guys that haven't worked. They've grabbed guys, DFA'd guys. I, I feel like a lot of the top teams this year are going to be scrambling for bullpen arms because, you know, we're getting back to a long season again. So you can't just be, you know, last year you could be a little willy nilly with the bullpen and whatever because it was such a short season. But I think, you know, as we watch, as we watch the season expand out, and you're going to have to see more, you know, innings watching and pitch count watching with the bullpen. You know, we're, you know, that's not, you know, it's something you watch over the year, but it's not something you usually have to watch too closely. I think that is something we're going to have to look at a lot closer this year. Yeah, and I think the other thing, I think, um, particularly the Cubs this week, they've got a lot of a lot of their stronger bullpen arms that are out. Uh, Arietta's on the IL, mm-hmm. Nico's on the IL, Ian Happ's on the IL. Um, Marisnik, uh, who was really coming on strong and was great off the bench and is now kind of was fitting into a starting role a little bit. Um, he pulled out with a hamstring the other day over the weekend against the Pirates, and I think um, it's a shame for him because he was just smoking the ball. He was seeing the ball real well at the plate. Um, so hopefully, you know, he's going to be out probably a month, I think, um, with the hamstring pull. And, and Nico, I think, is day-to-day, and Ian Happ hopefully gets sent down to Iowa because uh, he just needs to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian Happ has been horrendous offensively all year long. Defensively, he's okay. So you're, you have him on your roster for offense, and he's just not producing. Uh, the other guy I've really been impressed with is uh, a guy by the last name Duffy on the Cubs. He's really been hitting well, um, f- playing a really good third base. With Bryant playing left, right, center, uh, and first base too, and first base, and he's played shortstop. He's played third, not this year, but he's played shortstop in the past. He has only not played three positions. He's only not played second. He's not pitched, and he's not caught. So I mean, who knows by the end of the year with the with with Ross at the helm and the Madden <laughs> tricks? Who knows if that'll happen or not? It um, it, it could happen. I could see it. Yeah, so we'll see how they do. I, I think, and and really having a great weekend at Wrigley with with uh, the Dodgers last week during the week, and then um, getting into the Pirates over the weekend. Um, 
they took two out of three. Um, and I think, you know, again, Hendricks got rocked pretty good. But the location was good. It was weak hit ground balls that found holes. It was a, a you know a deep hit to I think it was center or right and Hayward misplayed it like it was the like we're not used to that from Hayward and a what should have been either a single or a double turned into a triple and scored a run or two. So I think um, you know there was a couple of errors there. So Hendricks is really starting to figure out what it is he needs to do. Um, I mean, he's, his nickname's a professor, and he went to the lab and figured it out. Um, so I'm, I'm impressed with him. I'm really impressed with Azalai. I think he's fantastic. Um, you know, letting him go now is going to be helpful. Um, he, he, with Arietta back in Chicago, um, Azalai kind of learned from him a little bit and leaned on him a little bit. And instead of trying to throw a bunch of pitches in the bullpen warming up, you know, throwing 40 pitches warming up because he's trying to figure things out. Arietta got him to go, look, I throw 15 or 20 just so my arm's loose. You don't have to kill your arm in the bullpen warming up. And ever since he's taken that approach and kind of buddied up with Arietta, he's really seen a really good uh, change in, in, in his fortune here this year so far. Yeah, I've really been impressed every time I've watched him pitch. Um, one thing I really took note of in the Pirates series, all three of those games were, were one-run games. So, I mean, you lost one of them, but you you held on for two, so your bullpen's pitching well. You know, we touched on it with the Dodgers, but, you know, the Cubs' bullpen last week, I mean, a couple blemishes, you're going to see that. This is baseball. It's a 162-game season, you know. You win 54, you lose 54, and then it's the other 54 that, you know, decides do you make the playoffs or not. And, uh, you know, results like that from your bullpen – that's going to put that third 54 looking pretty good for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, we're going to move on to some of the local teams. The Orioles, uh, they started the week incredibly well. They took two out of three from Seattle. John Means went out through the third no-hitter of the season. He was a wild pitch on a strikeout away from a perfect game. And then the guy who uh, reached on the wild pitch, he got thrown out trying to steal second. So he still faced the minimum number of hitters. You know, it just turned out that, you know, it was only going to be a no-hitter instead of a perfect game. So, uh, for John Means, he was the uh, first Oriole pitcher to throw no-hitter since Hall of Famer Jim Palmer on August 13th, 1969. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting. I saw the just the last couple of at-bats, I think. That was Wednesday night, I think it was. Um, and it's just impressive. And then you look at the, the analysis of his game is, you know, Fastball change up slider, and that's about it. And you know, it's it's interesting to see. I think it, actually it's a curveball too. I think he has, but you know, he may have started the game with a lot of that. But he, the, you know, the the last couple innings of that was change up and fastball. And it's you know, when you're when you're throwing the way he's throwing, and I saw again there was this video I was watching about how he he's tunneling his pitches. His release point is so similar that. It's basically the same angle, and it's kind of like you're way out in front of it, and the, the changeup is six feet in front of you yet. You know, so he was really mixing well. Um, his his breaking stuff was great, and it's really nice to see uh, something like that. And it's amazing that it took. I mean, I I didn't think it was going to be that long for them to to get a no hitter since '69, but that's that's great. Yeah, and then. Uh... 
The week didn't end so well for them. They lost the first three at home against Boston. Um, I think they did come back to win that game at least. So they took one out of four. But, you know, I, I had a feeling once Matt Harvey went down in game one, I didn't really think they were going to be able to muster up much against the uh, Red Sox after that. Yeah, I just it's nice to see Harvey kind of having some success this year. Um, I mean, after, you know, Gotham's White Knight just couldn't put together in New York. Uh, I mean, it's it's nice to see him at least try to have some success. But you're right. I think um, Boston is just too loaded that if, if you're going to lose that pitching matchup and you're not going to have means because he pitched on Wednesday, you, you know, you, you kind of have to rely on your hitters and you just don't have the hitters to, to match it. Yeah, the Orioles don't have enough hitting. That's very true. Um, the Nationals had an absolutely horrible week. Um, Atlanta swept them. Um, they couldn't do really anything on offense that whole series. Um, and then they went to play the Yankees, and they lost two out of three with the Yankees. Now, I mean, granted, the Yankees are really coming on. I mean, this is not the Yankees team from early in the year that was scraping the bottom of the AL East. Uh, they've really turned it around. They're 18-16 and 16 now. Um, you know... They're looking a lot better, but boy, you thought the Nationals were going to do a little better than that. I mean, you know, they they were at when we were recording last week. They were the top team in the NL East, and uh, as of tonight, that start of game, the Nationals are all the way back down to the bottom. So they went from worst to first to worst over the course of the show so far. Now they're down to thirteen and seventeen. Now, I mean, they're not far out of the lead right now because the East is so tight. But you know, performances like that's not that's not going to do well for Washington. Yeah, they really just don't seem to have enough consistency to really maintain it and to really get through the season. I mean, we're kind of seeing similar to them. I mean, we saw the Royals kind of riding it for a couple of weeks, and then they fell off again last week. Yeah, the Royals have lost eight straight games. So it's, I mean, it, there, there's going to be some ebb and flows here in the first month or two of the season, and, and you know, maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they'll trade away some of their, their guys, but... Uh, yeah, I think you know we. I think at the beginning of, of our show here three weeks ago, we we thought the O's and the Nationals were not going to have good years, and that's kind of coming home to roost right now. Yeah, and then the Mets they had a solid week. They uh, split a four gamer at St. Louis, and they swept the Diamondbacks. Um, Degrom's injury scare did continue. Uh, he was pulled after five innings in Arizona, but the Mets did actually hold on to win one of his starts. Um, but they did place him on the 10-day IL, so he's going to be out until at least May 20th. How well do you think they're going to hold up without their ace? Um, I mean, they were they did fairly well last weekend without him. Um, I, I think, I don't know if they won the game that he was scratched from against St. Louis. They did win that one. So I think, um, you know, maybe they'll find their bats and then keep their bats when DeGrom comes back. I think, um, coming off the short year last year, I think... Some of these these aces and some of the better guys are just kind of getting stretched back out again, um, you know, trying to go longer innings wise, and um, you know, I think long term, I think that could be good for Degrom to kind of get a break um, and, and kind of let things heal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot easier to do that now than it is to keep having him on the IL in August and September. So I think putting him on the IL now with not a ton of significant issues there. I think it's more so some fatigue and kind of working out some kinks here in the beginning of the year. But I think, you know, that's good for the Mets long-term. It's good for him long-term. So 
hopefully that that um, does some work for the Mets. And, and then again, I mean, having a good week last week without Degrom in some of those cases, I think if if the Mets can just pretend that Degrom's not on the mound when Degrom's on the mound, maybe they'll hit. Yeah, maybe they'll score more than one run. Who knows? Um, the the one thing I wonder um, is the rest of that pitching staff going to be good enough to move up a slot? Because without your ace taking out the other team's ace, you know, two's going to have to face one, three's going to have to face two. You know, if it's just a quick 10-day stint and he's back on May 20th just fine, I think they'll be able to, even if it's a rough 10 days, I think they'll be able to ride that out. But if this turns out to be longer than that, you know, I think that will be tougher for the Mets. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it's a lot harder. It doesn't seem like much, but it's the difference between, you know, a Novak Djokovic and someone who barely makes Wimbledon. Like, it's a huge difference, even if it's just one to two. Yeah. And particularly one to three. Uh, it's just a huge drop-off, at least, in that regard. So, uh, if it's long, if it's longer than 10 days, it could get a little dicey. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, um, you know, the Mets are banking on their farm system, which is still pretty solid right now. So hopefully, you know, if, if worse comes to worse and they have to bring a few arms up and they're able to kind of maintain and kind of get through, um, even if he's out, you know, f- three weeks, I still feel better about that than I do bringing him back after 10 when he's not great and having to put him back on a 10-day you know, down the line. Yeah, that's very true. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, before we start the next section, I do want to add a, a content trigger warning. Um, we're going to be talking about a feel-good story, but it is going to involve a suicide attempt. So if this is something that you don't want to hear, um, this is going to be a separate section from everything else. If you want to skip on to the next section, if you're playing in Spotify, um, then you you know then you won't have to listen to this. So um, I saw last week that um, San Francisco outfielder Drew Robinson made the AAA opening day roster one year after he shot himself in the head trying to commit suicide, losing his eye. Um, I was reading on ESPN, he had an exclusive interview with somebody on there, and he went down the entire timeline with them, and I wanted to share that because um, the reason he went on ESPN was because he wanted to share his story. He wanted to be a figure for people to look up to, you know, to help you realize some someone's always out there for you. So... Um, you know, so he attempted suicide on April 16th, 2020 at 8 o'clock at night. Um, earlier in the day, he had spent the whole day cleaning his house. You know, he didn't want to leave a mess behind for his family. Um, he drove around a lot trying to figure out where he wanted to do it um, and eventually came back home. He laid on the floor for 30 minutes holding his head. He tried to shower and clean himself up, ended up slipping on and the slippery floor, smacked his head in the entry wound. He tried to lay in his bed, but he felt nauseous and went back to the bathroom. He was in there for a while, and then he went back to bed around midnight. That would have been four hours after he pulled the trigger. He tried to lay down, assuming that he was going to die in his bed. He woke up at 7 a.m. on April 17th. The pain was finally hitting him. He took another shower, then went back to bed. He was slipping in and out of consciousness for hours. 
The pain got worse and he tried to get up before he collapsed to the floor. He managed to get the strength to stand up and go to the kitchen where he took a Tylenol. He walked by his coffee table and he saw the gun sitting there from the night before. He grabbed his phone instead of the gun and he went back to his room. He stopped in the bathroom and he saw his appearance in the mirror and he started to wonder if by taking that Tylenol he meant that he subconsciously wanted to heal instead of die. At 3.30 p.m. he sat on the couch where he shot himself. He picked up his pistol in one hand and his phone in the other. He dialed 911 and at that moment he realized he could either pull the trigger or hit the green call button. At 3.44 he hit the call button but before he did that, he took a picture of himself because he wanted to memorialize the moment that he chose to live. He ended up undergoing four surgeries, including the removal of his left eye that was damaged by the bullet. He was quoted in this article as saying, I never will hold back from asking or telling someone, even if it's something simple, hey, this little thing's annoying me today. Just tell them. They want to hear it. People that love you want to hear it. And if you don't have people that love you, therapists, they want to hear it. People want to help you. Professionals want to help you. So many people in this world are willing to help anyone going through these things. It might be a specific situation that makes it feel like you're all alone, but you're never alone. This has been an incredibly difficult year for everybody around the world not just us you know not just us here in Pennsylvania and in the United States but all around the world you know people have been in lockdown people have been living in fear with the pandemic if you or if anyone you know are feeling suicidal remember there are people out there for you so please guys do your best take care of yourselves take care of your mental health take care of your loved ones and their mental health as well yeah it's it's really important to just never give up um it's something that um i know it's something that's floats around a lot but i would rather talk to you for four hours than go to your funeral so you know look us up on twitter if, if you're feeling some of these things please talk to us we're happy to help in any way we can and and don't give up absolutely never give up we're always here for you guys all right, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll get back to our more regular content. All right, welcome back, everybody. So, uh, Joe, what are you drinking tonight? Um, in honor of the Phillies sweeping the Brewers, I'm drinking Miller High Life. Because after last week, up until about five minutes ago, I was back in the High Life again. <laughs> Went in five out of six last week for the Cubs, and uh, they're down. Um, they lost tonight. 3-2, um, losing those bullpen arms going into the league really did hurt them tonight, I think. And um, Bryant went out late in the game, not feeling well. So we'll see kind of where they where they go from there. The last thing they can do is afford to uh, lose another bullpen arm or another uh, position player. Andrew, what are you drinking? So tonight uh, from, the, uh, from the Great Lakes Brewing Company, I'm enjoying an Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Absolutely delicious. You know me, I like the uh, dark beers more than the light beers and uh, – this one's quite good. It's very, uh, very crisp and clean. Uh, uh, quite enjoy this one, and the artwork on the uh, front of the bottle is uh, fantastic as well. Somewhere, somewhere, Gordon Lightfoot is smiling. <laughs> yes, he is. 
All right, so we actually had some breaking news that came out today. Um, this is from ESPN's Jeff Passan. Um, the Oakland A's will start exploring relocation possibilities after Major League Baseball suggested the organization consider moving to other cities if the Howard Terminal Stadium proposal is not approved by local politicians. While the A's have expressed that remaining in Oakland and building a $12 billion mixed-use development is their priority, the, the standstill of the project prompted today's move. The leading contender if the A's do move, Las Vegas. Plenty of other cities would welcome them, too. So, um, Joe, this has been simmering for a long time now. The Oakland Coliseum has not been a adequate baseball stadium for decades. I mean, the sewage backs up in there all the time. The stadium's a wreck. It's falling apart. They're long overdue for a new stadium, and it's been an issue for a long time trying to fight through the uh, political red tape to get funding for a new stadium. And, you know, I also understand, you know, the cities are trying to balance budgets, especially with the ongoing pandemic and, you know, money this, money that. I get that. Um, what do you think? I mean, for Oakland, if they, if they were to, to blame it on the last year, you haven't been investing in this team for about 20 years, really. Uh, I mean, and you're right. That stadium is just, you know, it, it looked good in Moneyball, and that's the last time it looked half decent. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, honestly, the last time that stadium might have been considered a state-of-the-art, one of the better stadiums, might have been when Veterans Stadium was still standing in Philadelphia. That might have been the last time it had something to beat, and then once they knocked down Veterans Stadium, it plummeted right to the bottom of the scrap heap of MLB stadiums. I mean, look at all the new stadiums that have been built since the uh, Coliseum went in. Citizens Bank Park is gorgeous. You know, Truist Ballpark in Atlanta is gorgeous. Um, Safeco Field in Seattle is beautiful. San Francisco's ballpark is just gorgeous on the bay. You know, watching Barry Bonds hit home runs into the bay. You know, so many beautiful ballparks in Oakland is stuck in this relic from the 70s. Uh, you know... I'm not sure if they're going to end up staying or going. Um, you know, I put the article up on our Facebook page earlier, and uh, Travis Nair commented that of all the cities, um, he thought Montreal would be a good option for them to move to. Um, I, I put up an article from Bleacher Report, and, and cities that they mentioned as well were Portland, Nashville, Vancouver, Charlotte, Mexico City, and Montreal. Um, I, I do agree with Travis. I think Montreal would be a good choice. I don't think that's going to necessarily happen because of the divisions would need to be realigned at that point. You know, they'd have to bump somebody over, bump, you know, they'd have to, if they would go all the way to Montreal, they'd probably have to move two teams around. And I'm not sure which of the East AL East teams they would move into the Central. And then of the Central to the West, they would probably move the Royals, I think would make the most sense. But I'm not sure who in the AL East would make any sense to move. Right, and we could end up with something too. I think I think the West Coast cities are probably based on the realignment headaches. Probably where they'll end up, either Portland or Vegas. Vegas to me sounds like the better of the two options. I think you're going to have some issues with. Uh, we were talking about TV rights and with Seattle, um, Nashville. You're going to be hitting into Atlanta's market. Um, not that teams can't share markets, but then again, the the realignment issues are kind of there. And you really looking across both the NL and the AL Central, it's the Royals and the Cardinals, and it's like, well, you're not going to move the Cardinals. No. Um, and, and moving the Royals just doesn't make a ton of sense. 
I mean, it, it just to me, one of those West Coast cities is probably where it's going to be. Uh, but Montreal, I mean, is is baseball ready? Other than probably maybe a, a re a re you know an upgrade or a renovation of, of what was there. Maybe I don't know how good that stadium is in shape wise, but you know when the Expos were there, but. Montreal would be a good fit from that standpoint mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of expanding your presence. I think Mexico City was on that list, I think I saw too. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it's probably within, you know, that Mexico City, Vegas, Portland footprint is probably where they're going to look, I would think. Yeah, it, I, I feel like if a team's going to Montreal, it's going to be Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Tampa Bay draws 38, 39 fans on average for home games. Um, you know, you feel so bad because that team plays really well a lot of the time, but they didn't start their franchise well for a long time before they turned things around. And I feel like fans never forgave them for those first five to ten years of obscurity, and they've never really come back even when they've made the playoffs. So I feel like if anybody's going to Montreal, it would be Tampa Bay, and that would make the most sense for the AL East. It would actually make travel for the AL East a little easier, ignoring the border crossing. Yeah, and I think um, I think that's a good point. I think it would be good for the reach of the game to put them in Montreal, and possibly um, even with their thirty-nine fans, they're still probably beating out the Marlins. Yeah, it's true. The Marlins, so, I think, they average about uh, twenty-two and a half. <laughs> yeah, Marlins average about twenty-two and a half fans, and pay, but they have a fish tank. So that's true. I mean, there is that, but I think, uh, and they've got a new stadium that the uh, that their previous owner swindled the city into Miami into paying most of. So the Marlins aren't going anywhere, no matter how few people show up. No, and and I think, like I said, I think you're right. Maybe the the Rays could move. I mean, the the Florida area, if you include Atlanta into that kind of, you know, it's you have Miami, you have. Atlanta, you have just a lot of teams down there um, in that that part of the country, and I think maybe that could. Yeah, and you could make the argument that California's got a ton of teams too, but California's a much bigger state than Florida is. Right. Um, I, I think Mexico City is an interesting thought. I, I could see that, um, although I don't know how easy it is to move a team down there during the pandemic. Um, I don't think Vancouver's a very likely choice. I, I just feel like, I mean, yeah, they've got their hockey team up there. I, I don't know how well a baseball team is going to do moving into Vancouver. Yeah, I think if, if baseball was going to translate outside of Toronto and Montreal, it would have done so already. Yeah. Um, so that, that really just doesn't seem like a good option. I mean, Mexico City would expand your, your reach a little bit, um, maybe fan-wise, mm-hmm. but... To me, it's probably Vegas, and and that's probably the the leading contender in my mind. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I wonder what Pete Rose is going to say if they announce they're moving to Vegas. <laughs> well, I mean, some of these states now have legalized betting on baseball, so you know, I, and that's a whole another debate for a whole another time. I think. Yeah, but, uh, we could probably go for another twenty minutes at least on that. So I think we'll. Uh, We'll let the Pete Rose talk go for now, and uh, I, you know, if you want to bring more of that up, feel free to pull the article back up on our Facebook page. There's a pretty lively debate going on um, on his birthday about should he be in the hall or not. So, you know, if you want to. 
hop in on the Pete Rose debate. Feel free to find that and jump right back into it. All right, so uh, big performances of the week for the hitters um, from Texas. Adolis Garcia had a fantastic week. He went 460. He uh, hit for 464 average, uh, 500 OBP, 929 slugging. He had six runs scored, four home runs, 12 RBIs. Jordan Alvarez from the Astros. He hit 520 uh, OBP, 520 slugging, 920. He scored seven runs, three home runs, six RBIs. And then um, the 22 and a half fans in Miami got to enjoy watching Miguel Rojas hit 458, 500, He scored nine runs, hit two home runs, five RBIs, three doubles, and a triple. I, that was a great week for Rojas. He really, he was really uh, leading Miami's offense and did a great job. Uh, did you have any other hitters in your list, Joe? Um, really, I think just I mean, we talked about it a lot with the Cubs, but I really think that. Um, You know, Marisnik was hitting really well for them. Duffy was hitting really well for them, uh, you know, as far as that goes. But I, I think, you know, two of those three teams, you look at their, their record for the last 10 games, and it shows that they had some quality hitting around. Absolutely. Um, with Miami, it doesn't really show. But with Texas and um, and Houston, it, it showed that their, their last week was really well record-wise. So. Yeah. And then for the pitchers, uh, obviously John Means, we already talked about him. Um, I had Hugh Oscar and Yanoa on there. Uh, so his here's his stat line for the two starts last week. He went 2-0. and He threw 13 in the third innings, 10 strikeouts, one earned run, eight hits, three walks, a 0.69 ERA, and a 0.85 whip. Oh, and he had a grand slam in there as well. Yeah, I really think um, Yanoa just really has come on strong here the last couple of weeks. Um, and it's just been impressive to watch. Um, I mean, he, three walks in the last week, that's, I, I mean, and the strikeout numbers are great. I, I think, you know, he's, he's a real rising star. We were kind of worried about their starters a little bit, and he's really kind of been a, the glue for them other than uh, Ian Anderson. Yeah, you know it's not going anywhere. I, no. You'd be insane to send him back down to AAA when Soroka comes off the I.L., I'm really happy with how he's doing, and once Soroka comes back, he's probably going to drop to like the three, the four. He's going to feast against other teams, lower quality starters, I think. Oh, yeah, and I think, um, you know, having a, a guy perform so well when he's sort of in a fill-in position is great for you long-term, and it's one of those things, too, where I was seeing that, you know, maybe teams will start stretching guys and going six pitchers deep as opposed to five. So to already have a really strong arm there in the middle of your rotation, you know, who was who was basically just filling in at the time, mm-hmm. you know, that's fantastic for them down the road. Absolutely. Um, we mentioned it earlier, Zach Wheeler, he had a fantastic week. Um, Tyler Anderson had another strong week with Pittsburgh. He went one and one, 15 and two-thirds, 11 strikeouts, four runs, six hits, four walks. Uh, 245 ERA, 0.68 whip. Again, when you when your when your whip's down under one, it means you're get a guy is getting on base less than once an inning. You know that's the key to getting deep into these games. Yeah, I think um, and and seeing what listening to that firsthand on on Sunday, I think it was um, Anderson just 
you know, tough hitters just couldn't put it together on Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you can't leave guys on like they weren't doing against the Dodgers and expect to to sweep that series. I mean, after they swept the Dodgers, I was like, okay, the Cubs are going to get, you know, lose two out of three and make me feel like crap on Monday. And they won two out of three, and I'm grateful for that. But it's just, you know, to see some – it's hard to sweep six games in a, in a week. So I was expecting them to at least lose one game that uh, over the weekend with the Pirates, and it just happened to be that one. And Anderson was really, really pitching well and, you know, getting strikeouts and getting balls that were not hit where they weren't exactly. <laughs> defensively. So exactly. that really helps them. And then the last pitcher I wanted to mention was uh, Wade Miley of the Reds. He threw the Major League's fourth no-hitter of the year. Uh, we're in the middle of May, and we've had four no-hitters already. Can you say the year of the pitcher? Well, it really is. It's it's amazing just how, how well they're doing in, in this year of the pitcher. I mean, if you, if you count Bumgarner, we've got five. Which and, I don't. Right. Um, which is a debate for an, another time. But, I, I mean, it, with the four no-hitters you have, and if you include Bumgarner in that, I think four of the five pitchers are lefties. So it's really interesting to see that. Um, they're really um, looking back at some of that. You're seeing the, these left-handed pitchers that are really just pushing righties off the plate to where a pitch that is, you know, four inches inside on them is being called a strike. So that pitch, you know, that's from the middle to the last five inches of the plate going towards the outside, they think it's a ball and it's in there. Mm-hmm. So they're really having to overcompensate, and and we're seeing, you know, just the amount of I think strategy you're seeing the scouting reports with the pitchers that they they're able to kind of go over between pitches and between batters, uh, just the amount of knowledge and stuff that's out there with these these you know that they're studying and looking at, um, it's just amazing to see just kind of what we're seeing here this year um the indians unfortunately the cubs were on the wrong side of that one tonight but the indians have been on the wrong side of two of these no hitters this year um the last team to be on the wrong side of two no hitters the 1917 white Sox, and it was on back-to-back days wow now that team ended up Winning the World Series that year, not saying that's what's going to happen in Cleveland, but I mean, it's just that's a long time to go that far, you know, between a team getting no hit twice in a year, and we've already had that, and it's not even the middle of May, so this is just a really fantastic year, and and even our when we were recording our first episode, looking at pitchers, you had, you know, f- some of them had five starts, and four of those starts were quality starts, it's it's across the board. You know, you can name one or two great pitchers on every single ball club. And you can just tell the difference. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely the year of the pitcher. It's fun to watch. And it's, um, especially for baseball junkies like you and me, it's, you know, we grew up on, on Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz. And to see, you know, these these pitchers who are controlling hitters like like they did in the 90s it's just fantastic to watch i think the game has kind of gone sort of in a full circle here you know we had that the 90s you know early 90s mid 90s where it was pitchers dominating and then you had the late 90s and early 2000s where it was all homers and and rbis and the hitters were tattooing the ball all over the place you know i think in 98 we had 
five or six guys who had 50 homers. Yeah. You know, gone are, gone are those years, I think, for a while until the hitters start to figure things out again. But I think just, again, the amount of data that's out there, the amount of film these guys are watching now, it, it's amazing to see um, just how good the pitching is right now. Yeah, and another thing um, another thing I I want to bring up, too, that's aiding the pitchers this year, um, MLB tweaked the ball in the offseason to try and reduce home runs a little bit, and I think that's definitely had an impact as well. You know, I remember I remember that opening day game in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, Dansby Swanson, Marcelo Zuna. You know, we had a bunch of guys that were just tattooing the baseball, but between the crazy swirling winds in Philly that day and the ball that's not popping quite as much as it did the year before, you know, that probably cost Atlanta on opening day. Yeah, I, I haven't read a ton into how much they tweaked the, the baseball. Um, I mean, it's basically, and that's probably something that has a bit of an effect on it. Um, but we'll see kind of just how the rest of the season plays out. Maybe as we get into the warmer months, maybe the balls travel differently. I don't know. Um, I think this, you know, these colder weather games that we've had here in the first month of the season, I think that's certainly also going to keep the ball down and keep the ball in the yard a little more. So we'll see if that trend continues. I think it will. But, um, you know, whether it's the ball or, or better pitching or both, I mean, it's it's really been a fun year to watch. Yeah, it absolutely has. I love a good pitcher's duel. I mean, I don't mind the occasional 14-7 to 7 slugfest, but I'd rather... I love watching the three-one, three-two, two pitchers just blowing down each lineup. I love watching that, um, and I think you're right. I think as the weather warms up, I do think the offense will start to catch up a little bit. Um, you know, if Jason were here tonight, he'd be quick to point out that you know when it gets hot and humid in Philadelphia, balls fly out of there like they're looking for Philly cheesesteaks. So you know, it it'll probably bounce back around. Yeah, I'm hoping for a few. Uh extra wind blowing out days at Wrigley here before it gets too warm. Yeah. So um, I had six hot teams on my list this week. Um, Atlanta, obviously, and Chicago, I think, were two of the hottest teams over the last week. Also, the Mets, the Cardinals, the White Sox, and the Yankees. Um, who else did you have on your hot teams for the week? I mean, those really were the, the best teams this last week. It's finally nice to see um, the White Sox kind of put some things together early on they were kind of struggling or staying kind of mediocre middle of the road consistent and now they're mm -hmm. kind of pulling things together and putting things together same thing with the Yankees it's really nice to see a lot of these teams were were teams that we were probably not so high on a week ago so it's amazing what a week does for our teams and some of these other teams that they're they're having these weeks that they're having absolutely and yeah the White Sox are such a young club with a lot of young talent I mean if they if that team clicks and puts it all together this year and continues that next year, they're going to be a scary team to contend with for a while. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it took some time with the White Sox since their last World Series and when they finally started to just say, okay, we're rebuilding and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, but the rewards have certainly been plentiful the last, you know, the, the signings this offseason some of the talent that's homegrown that they've got in their system and bringing it up. Um, and the same thing, I think, with the Mets, too. Their, their farm system is pretty good. Um, we'll see if that continues and, and pans out for them. They've got a lot of top prospects coming along. So, I mean, if, if 
the Mets can main, can maintain a little bit and maybe bring some of those guys up, get them some some innings here. You know, maybe that's something that will propel them later on, or they become trade fodder if the Mets just fall off the earth, which I don't think is going to happen, but you never know. Yeah, as much as I'd like to see the Mets fall apart, I don't see it happening, at least not this year. Um, and, yeah, they've been rebuilding their farm system over the last couple of years. They had um, they had a stretch of time where they were trading anybody and everyone for, you know, the overpriced veteran to try and stay in a race they shouldn't have stayed in. And um, it seems like they're making much smarter decisions now. Um, so, yeah, the, the Mets are probably, as much as it pains me to say this, they're probably around to stay for a while. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's nice to see both New York teams kind of contending. Both Chicago teams are kind of, in, I mean, this week they were in the mix. The Cubs, we'll see if that can, if the guys can stay healthy enough to, to make that stay. I don't think they're going to be, you know, much past third place in the division come the end of the year. But, you know, if they, if they you know, if Brian stays hot and, some, you know, Duffy and Rosnick can get back healthy, you know, Marietta can come back and be his old self. Still, I think, you know, they might, you know, make it interesting in September, but I don't know that they're going to be there. But it's nice to see some of these teams that we were, again, not too high on a week or two ago that are kind of finally finding their groove a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so this week's uh, reader comments and questions, this actually also came from Jason's wife, Karen. And this is an absolutely bonkers question that I had a lot of fun putting together. She asked, uh, if you had to make a lineup out of mascots, who would you choose and why? So, Joe, this this is my nine mascots I picked. Uh, number one, of course, Atlanta's blooper. He uh, stole Machado and Harper's mega contracts after they signed them with those enormous checks. Although, I, I, I should note, Harper did chase him down and get his back. Um, Bernie the Brewer, because this is the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast, you have to have the guy who makes the beer. Um, I like Dinger from the Rockies, because you never know when you need a dinosaur to, you know, run through people. Um, the Mariner Moose, because you never mess with the moose. You, you just don't mess with the moose. Yeah, we learned that from our uh, Troop 142 days. <laughs> you, you don't mess with the moose and the mighty moose. So, uh, can't, can't disagree with that one. Absolutely. Um, then I had the Philly fanatic to scare the opposing team away from the field with the uh, with the water hose in his ATV. Um, I grabbed the swinging fryer from San Diego because I just like how the guy looks. Um, I grabbed Stomper from the A's because you know sometimes you also need an elephant to trample through the other team. Um, I had the uh, Oriole bird because I think he's one of the best looking mascots. And then uh, Karen gave me specific permission to make this pick. I grabbed Gritty from the Flyers because, uh, you know, he already has shown on his Twitter feed. He doesn't know how to stay in his own sport. He's the guy you need to pitch because uh, he reminds me of uh, Cincinnati's suspended closer because he's not afraid to fight an entire team to protect his own guys. Um, Joe, would you add anybody else to your mascot lineup? I mean... And this is being partial. I'd have to put Clark, the Cub uh, mascot, the bear, uh, on there, obviously. Um, named after Clark and Addison, the intersection there in, in uh, Wrigley in Chicago. But that's the only one that I could really see adding. If we could really get into local mascots, I'd probably put Silo in there somewhere. Yeah, Silo's um, pretty great, too. That's very true. To watch Actually, him fall off a dugout and then you know be taken care of by a doctor, like the commercials. <laughs> 
That was great. Yeah, you know, yeah, you can absolutely add silo. Karen didn't say it had to be major league mascots, and if she gave me a, you know, if she gave me an excuse to sneak gritty in there, you can absolutely sneak silo in there for sure. All right, we're gonna take one more quick break, and then we're gonna do our preview for the upcoming week. All right, welcome back, everybody. As we start our final section for the week, um, we're gonna look at the upcoming games for our teams this week. So. For the Braves, uh, they start three at home against Toronto. Um, the pitchers for this series are going to be Bryce Wilson, Max Freed, and Charlie Morton. Uh, the big thing for the Braves, uh, Charlie Morton's got to improve from last week. I mean, I don't think he can do much worse than only getting through two-thirds of an inning. But, you know, he's definitely got to be a little better this week and just more consistent overall. And then they go on the road and play three at Milwaukee. And they're going to be starting Drew Smiley, Ian Anderson, and Oscar Yanoa. Um, Smiley needs to build on his last start, keep doing what was working well for him, and keep improving. And also, the offense is going to need to stay consistent with that series because um, we're going to be facing the bottom three, I believe, of Milwaukee's staff. So we need to capitalize on the favorable pitching matchups. Yeah, I think particularly with Milwaukee, you're going to have to, um, you know, Stay away from Josh Hader as much as possible. So the only way to do that is to score runs and take leads against Milwaukee. Um, you know, Hader has been not Mariano-esque as far as ability and pitching, but just close the door, and if if they brought Hader in, then the game is probably over. Yeah, Hader's been really good. So, yeah, we're hoping that uh... – if we're behind, we're hoping it's far enough down that they won't think to bring Hader in and it'll be too late when he comes in. But we'd rather be pitching and playing from ahead anyway, so that's what we're going to hope for. Um, the Cubbies this week, they play at one of those annoying two-game series at Cleveland. Um, one of the games was against uh, Bieber, so they are going to. my guess was that they were going to need to shoot for a split, and they did end up losing tonight. Is that correct? They did. They lost 3-2. Bryant went out. Feeling, feeling ill, so okay. um, the injury or illness woes might continue there, and there might be some more roster moves tomorrow. There were four or five today, so um, these injuries are kind of starting to mount up. Um, Davies, I hope he can kind of build off of his start last week um, where he was really just finally locating and, and doing what everybody hoped he would do going into the year. Um, so if he can get, you know, it's a fairly favorable pitching matchup tomorrow for, for the Cubs. It is like a 120 game mm-hmm. um, or 1220 out in the, in the central zone, but it's just super early after a game like tonight. So, uh, I mean, hopefully, you know, some of the guys Baez was out, maybe he'll be rested and feel good tomorrow. Um, Hayward was iffy going into tonight. He did play, but I think, um, you know, just too many guys banged up. I think, Going into Detroit this weekend, I mean, Detroit is terrible this year, um, and, and we can't blow this opportunity to win games on as crappy as the Cubs have been on the road. We just can't blow an opportunity to get some confidence for some of these guys. Uh, we'll probably have Hendricks and uh, Alzali and maybe Arietta if he comes back by the weekend. We'll see. Um, the Cubs are 4-10 and ten away from home, uh, the 13-8. and eight in the friendly confines of Wrigley. So, I mean, it, part of me thinks, well, maybe they'll take two, but I just, I don't, B 
being a Cubs fan for as long as I have, the fa- the thought that they might sweep the crappiest team in the AL Central is just not something that's entered my mind because there's always a game where they just don't put it together. And if Arietta doesn't come back this weekend, then you're going to be having a bullpen game there in, in the middle of that series. And bullpen games, you never know what happens. So true. Um, so the announced starters so far for the series, it looks like Williams will go Friday, Hendricks on Saturday, and uh, um, Elsley on Sunday. Right. So, yeah, no, it looks like Arietta's not announced. If he's back, it looks like maybe Tuesday against Washington. Um, they do not have a starter announced yet for that game. So I, my guess is if he's able to come back then, that's where they'll slot him in. Yeah, and Williams, uh, Trevor Williams has really been pitching very well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of the one bright spot before Kyle and, and uh, him and Azalei were just much better than Kyle and, and Davies were going into the season and starting off the year here the first couple of weeks. So, I mean, I think if we can get all those pitchers to kind of pull it together and you bring Arietta back feeling better, we'll, we'll see kind of what they can do. Um, you know, getting some of these bullpen guys back and some of their better players back here. Um, you know, having Wilson Contreras and Rizzo in the lineup is, you know, that consistency is, is super helpful. I think that might have been one of the best deals that the Cubs made. I think they traded a pitcher to the Padres way back then, and, and Rizzo was part of that deal, and we sure got the better of that one. Yes, you definitely did. Um, now, the Phillies this week, they are on the road all week. They play three at Washington, and then they have three at Toronto. Um, with Washington, they need to turn around this terrible road record they've had. Uh, the Nats are reeling right now. They need to go for the throat, and they need to draw blood. Um, they've got two of their best pitchers going. They've got Wheeler and Eflin going, so they need to capitalize having um, their good arms out there, and they need to t- get at least two out of three here. Um, and then against Toronto, um, you know, once again, you know, they have to play well on the road. This is, not, you know, if they want to be a legit playoff team, the Phillies need to play better on the road. And that's going to be a tough task with the Blue Jays. That team has played very well at home this year, so. You know we're gonna have to take a look at that. The Blue Jays at home, uh, they've been seven and four so far coming into tonight's game. So, you know that I think is gonna be a taller task for Philly than Washington's gonna be. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean Toronto's run differential is plus twenty five, and I think, like you said, I think they've got some better, um, better pitchers there and some better hitters there that they're they're just. It's going to be a taller task for Philly, particularly with being five and 11, 11 away from Citizens Bank Park. Um, you know that that Washington series. I think you're right. They really do have to capitalize on that. And and after the week that the Phillies had last week, I think um, particularly with the weekend series with the Braves, I think you know that that national series has to be kind of your okay. Let's regroup. Let's right the ship. Let's get some good starts in here. Um, and and you know. Not necessarily do you have to sweep them, I think, but if you can get two or get one and lose a close one, but at least have have consistency and, and it look like you know things are, are turning around and, and you're showing up, I think that's going to be helpful for them. But I think Toronto, again, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a tall task for them. Yeah. Um, big series in the upcoming week that I'm looking at um, – I'm excited to see Yankees at Rays. They're two of the hottest teams in the AL East right now. I mean, it's a matchup of your second and third teams in the division. 
Um, and then you've got a good AL Central rivalry matchup with uh, Kansas City at the White Sox. You know, can Kansas City break out of this eight-game slump they're in? And then also the Cardinals are heading out west to, um, to play in San Diego. Um, the Cardinals have been hot lately. San Diego has played really, really well. Um, I'm excited to see how that matches up. Yeah, and it, it'll be interesting to see how that, that series shapes out. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. and a couple other guys were announced today to be out um, through COVID. I think just COVID protocol, whether it's exposure or or, or positive. But um, So we'll see kind of how that changes things for them this year, or for this week, rather. Um, I mean, the Padres are, you know, sitting a game above the Dodgers in, in the West are two and a half back of the um, the Giants, and I mean they're they're it, at home they're nine and ten and in, on the road they're ten and six. So being at home, we'll see how that shapes out for them because they haven't been playing too well there. Um, and I mean we'll we'll kind of see what that series looks like. I think we'll kind of see what Kansas City, you know, is. Is that just a fluke week that they had, or, you know, is that something where they're going to turn it around and kind of be competitive again there? Yeah, that's definitely going to be interesting to watch. All right, so looking at Pickham from the last week, um, Atlanta ended up going five and one, three and zero, two and one. I had guessed four and two, two and one, two and one. I didn't get the sweep. Um, Jason guessed three and three, one and two, two and one, and Joe, you guessed uh, four and two, two and one, two and one. So you and I were both very close to a perfect week, but we just missed that one. Um, the Cubbies last week they actually went five and one, three and zero, oh, two and one. I was completely off. I guessed uh, two and four, zero oh, and three, two and one. So at least I saved the half a point by guessing the Pirate series right. Um, Jason was slightly more optimistic at three and three, one and two, two and one. Um, you were the most optimistic of the bunch, but I think this is one where you're happy that they outplayed your optimism. Uh, you had only guessed four and two, two and one, two and one. Yeah, I'll gladly take uh, them winning an extra game, regardless of what it does in the point standings for me. Exactly. Um, and that was, again, it was just nice to see them kind of put an entire series together because they really had not done that other than maybe the first series of the year. Um, so it was really nice to kind of see them put a series together and have some pitchers really do uh, what we expect them to do. And anytime you can do it against the defending World Series champions, you know, that just feels even better still. All right, the Phillies last week, they went 5-2, and 4-0, and 1-2. and two. Um, I was quite a bit off on that one, too. I guess 3-4, and 2-2, and 1-2. And Jason uh, was even further off than I was. He went, he guessed 2-5, and 1-3, and 1-2. and two. And uh, you were once again. You were very close on that one. You guessed four and three, three and one, one and two. You know, none of us saw them sweeping the Brewers. Um, and then the wild card team last week was the Giants. Um, they had a. They just went three and three, one and two, two and one last week. Um, I thought they were going to do a little better. I guessed four and two, two and one, two and one. Jason was wildly optimistic last week, kind of like I was unsuccessfully with Seattle the week before. He guessed that they were going to go five and one, three and zero, oh, two and one. You came so close, Joe, to a perfect week there. You had the three and three right, but you inverted the series. They went. You guessed two and one, one and two. They actually went one and two, two and one. Hey, you know that's baseball. That's how it's going to happen sometimes. 
All right, so for the upcoming week, um, I guess the Braves are going to go four and two, two and one, two and one. Jason said the same. You got you're guessing the Braves are going to go three and three, two and one, one and two. Um, for the Cubs this week, I guess they're going to go four and one, one and one, three and zero. Oh. Jason said three and two, one and one, two and one. Joe, you agreed with me, uh, four and one, but you said two and zero, oh, which you're not going to get that one, unfortunately. Yeah. And then two and one. Um, for the Phillies this week, I'm guessing a 500 week, three and three, two and one, one and two. Um, Jason said the same, three and three, two and one, one and two. Joe, you're looking a little more optimistic for the Phillies, four and two, two and one, two and one. And then our wild card team for the week is the Yankees. Um, I'm guessing the Yankees are going to have a 500 week going three and three, one and two, two and one. Uh, Jason and you are both a little more optimistic than I was, guessing four and two, two and one, two and one. All right, so that's Pick'em for the week. Um, I did, I, unlike last week, I did remember to put the post up earlier today. So if you want to join in on Pick'em, uh, it's up on the Facebook page. Feel free to hop in, send your predictions in, and uh, on the show next week, we'll let you know how you did. I got to say, I mean, you can't blame me for feeling optimistic in Cleveland the last time they played in Cleveland. You know, five years ago, good things happened on Tuesday and Wednesday night in Cleveland. So, you know, hey... <laughs> I had to go with it. And you know there's never anything wrong with being confident in your own ball club. Oh, for sure. All right, so that's it for us this week. We'll see you all next week. Um, Jason will hopefully be feeling better, and we'll be back with him. Um, may your dogs always cost a dollar, and may your beer always be cold. Have a good night.